Today we're going to be talking about love. We're going to be talking about love. If you are in love or if you watch people who are in love, you know that sometimes that love leads them to do some kind of quirky things, right? I can remember the time when I drove almost 2,000 miles to see Carolyn for a little more than a few hours. And, uh, oh, oh, yeah, all right, all right, fine. I thought it was just a nice expression of my love. Her parents thought I was nuts <laughs> and pretty much to this day think the same thing. No, we've, we've come a long way since then, but that, that will happen. That was a difficult trip to make, but love will find a way is what we're talking about today. I've discovered just this last week that love will find a way even if the thing that you love is an inanimate object. Because in the news this week, I don't know if you saw it, there were some women in Mexico who put on bridal gowns and they married trees. They married trees. They were actually kind of protesting, saying we love trees and we don't want them to be logged as is happening so much there in Mexico and so we're going to marry them. Love will find a way to save these trees was their message. I don't know how you feel about that, but the people who wrote the article said they thought it was tremendous. They said it, I didn't say it, all right? I mean, come on, what's next? Next thing you know, somebody's going to come up with a tree dating app. <laughs> Maybe they'll call it timber. <laughs> yeah, okay, all right. Maybe they won't call it timber. Anyway, today we are thinking about the real thing. We're continuing on in our sermon series, The Real Thing. It is a study of the letter of First John. We've been making our way quite a way along at this point, and what John has been doing is laying out for us, wanting to keep his readers who are getting confused about just what was the real thing, what is it that God is asking of us. There were false teachers who were coming in, and so John wanted to clear everything up so they would know what it is that their lives ought to look like if they were going to be followers of Christ. And so we're looking on in that in these days so that we might glean those same principles. And today we're going to see that one of the things that he says, if you're going to be a genuine Christ follower, if the real thing is going to be in you, then you need to get right this idea of love and what it means to demonstrate a Christ-like love. That's what we're digging into today. Now, here's the thing. I don't know about you, but I know that there are times when I could love better than I do. I could love my neighbors better. I could love my family better. I could love Jesus better. And maybe today you would find yourself in a similar sort of situation, and when that sort of washes over you, that reality, that realization, sometimes that can lead to discouragement, sometimes that can lead to guilt, and sometimes that presses us then on into a desire to do something better, to love better, to move ourselves forward in a way that would be more reflective of what it is that Christ is calling us to go and do. At other times, instead of it motivating us toward loving better, what it does is it motivates us to find an excuse. An excuse for why I'm not living the way that I really ought to be living an excuse, something that will appease my conscience and, and allow me to sleep better even when I'm not pressing into what I ought to be doing. See, the problem with an excuse, though, is all it is doing is putting off the inevitable. It's just allowing me to continue on further down the path of not being the real thing, of not being what it is I'm supposed to be, only to at some point down the road have to pick up and turn around and go in the direction. So what we really ought to do 
is to recognize where we are and put all of our efforts today in these moments into what it is that John would say to us so that we might turn in the direction so that we would find ourselves there where we ought to be living is the real thing when it comes to the love of Christ that is in us that needs to flow through us so that we would get to that place. You can make excuses, but that's not going to take you there. In fact, this is the key truth that I want to point out to you today. It is this. You can always find an excuse, but love will find a way. If the love of Christ really is in you, it will find its way out. In fact, you won't be able to keep it inside as you get to that place. I don't know if that's where you would be right now as we kind of get this thing kicked off, but I pray that that's where we will all be when we come to see what it is that John has to say in this passage. The passage is 1 John chapter 4. I invite you to go ahead and turn there if you haven't already in your Bible. Hopefully you brought one. I encourage you to bring one week by week. We're in the English Standard Version for the course of this particular series. The Bible's provided for you, whatever venue you are in. You can also find them on one of these page numbers. If that's helpful, you can go online to YouVersion app. The outline's in there. The outline is also in your bulletin. And uh, some of you, I can see, are already starting to fill that out, which is great. The slope of this passage is that John keeps coming back to this idea, let us love, let us love, let us love. We're going to see the repetition of that as we make our way along. And then he says, let us love, and he gives us a reason to do so, a rationale behind it, a motivation to move ourselves in that direction. So we're just going to take the way that he frames it, the way that he lays it out. We're going to walk right through it. And the first of those things that he gives to us, the first assertion is this, let us love, we have a model Let us love, we have a model. John doesn't waste any time to get into the heart of the matter here. Verse 7, chapter 4, 1 John says, Beloved, let us love one another. He just comes right out with it. Sometimes when we want to make a point, we kind of build up to it and build up to it and build the tension, and then, bam, we give the point right at the end. We reveal it. Well, here he's not waiting, not taking any time at all. He just wants to get it right out in front of us. Beloved, let us love one another. Another is how he kicks this off. He says, let us love. But what does that love look like? Well, he says, there's a model. Let me tell you about the model, he says. Verse 7 goes on. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God because God is love. Do you ever wonder where you stand with God? Do you ever wonder, am I really a child of God? Do you ever wonder where your your standing is relative to eternal life with Christ? Well, take a look at your love is what he's saying. Whoever loves has been born of God is what he's saying. How do you act toward others? Is it out of love and care and compassion? Are you looking to the needs of other people ahead of your own? Or is it simply something where you're interested in you and really only you? Well, what he is saying here is he's trying to take this out of the realm of the theoretical and even out of the realm of the theological and just bring it down to brass tacks, practical matters. Take a look at your life, he says. Can you see the evidence of God's love coursing through you? Then you can have confidence. You can know because that's our model, he is saying. Goes on, verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. Propitiation. There's that word again. We saw this earlier back in chapter 2, and we talked about it at that point, that sometimes there are words and phrases that sort of go out of Vogue. We know that just to be the case in all sorts of 
pieces of our language. Some expressions just go out of vogue. Right, Daddy-O? Yeah, 10-4, good buddy. That's right, that just happens. I know it's kind of a, a bummer, but that's just the way it is. So take a chill pill, guys, right? Now, I'm glad that some of these things have actually fallen out of the expressions that we use because some of them just barf me out. Remember using all of those? Yeah, well, a lot of those are gone, thank goodness, but one we don't want to lose is this word, propitiation. It's a very, very important word. Propitiation means to atone for the sin of someone or to satisfy the person who has been sinned against. And that's exactly what Jesus has done for us as he goes to the cross. He takes our sin on himself and becomes the propitiation for that sin. And what we need to understand is it's not because of anything that we've done. God didn't look down and say, oh wow, Jeff is so awesome. We better do something for Jeff. No, not at all. He did that for us when there was nothing to commend us to him. Verse 10 says, it's not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us. That's why he sent Jesus. It's when you were at your worst that God looked on you with love. This is the model we're talking about. Paul says this about our condition. You were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked. That's where we were when Jesus came after us. Not with anything to commend us. We were dead. He goes on, Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In that condition, he showed his love. Sometimes couples argue over who loved the other one first. I'm pretty sure that I loved Carolyn first because I fell in love with her when she was dating somebody else. But that's another story we're going to, we'll talk about it. No, uh, eventually she saw the light. <laughs> Actually, we were talking about this the other day, and I don't think it was that either, I don't think it was quite like that. We tried to figure out when was that moment, and we came to the conclusion that we fell in love with one, or one another at the exact same time. Isn't that sweet? <laughs> as best as we can figure out, that was it, all right? Maybe you've had that conversation with the person that you're married to, all right, if you're married. Maybe you've had that conversation. You don't have to have that conversation about God and you. There is absolutely no doubt he loved you first. When there was nothing lovable in you whatsoever, he loved you. Now, you might be here today. I'm sure that there are some who are listening today who are wondering just the degree to which God loves you, if he really does, if he really cares about you because you know where you've been, you know what your past has been, you know that you haven't been very lovable. And so some of us come at that and we say, there's nothing in me to commend me, so I must not have the love of God. Well, to come to that conclusion is to misunderstand what the love of God really is all about. To understand the way that he loved us when we didn't deserve to be loved. Friend, the fact that you have any interest whatsoever in knowing if God loves you, the fact that that matters to you even in the slightest is a clear indication that he does, that he's reaching to you, that he is calling out to you, that he's seeking to communicate to you, to reveal to you the depth of the love he has for you. So take courage, take hope in that, my friend. God's love is on you. There's no doubt about it. The fact that the God of the universe 
would care for any of us or love any of us is an amazing reality. But he didn't show us that love just so that we could marvel in it. He shows us that love so that we might have a model, so that we might take it and that we might move it forward, so that we might come to understand it. So when he says to us, Beloved, let us love one another like our model loves, is what he is saying as he gets us started. That's the very first thing here. The second message from John is to let us love. We have a mission We have a model. We have a mission. He's stacking ideas here. Remember verse 7? How did it start? Right away. Beloved, let us love one another. Verse 11 now. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You getting the idea of what John is after? What does he want us to do? He wants us to love one another. It's pretty plain, no doubt about it. But it's not just an idea. It's not just a good thing. It's not a kind thing that we might do for someone else. It is a mission that we have been given. Verse 12 continues, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Because God is love, when we love one another, his love is coursing through us. We need to understand it for what it really is. John says his love is perfected. That's the language that he uses in us. Our genuine love, when it's on display, is not just something that I have for you. It's not just something that you have for me. When we display that love, it's actually a manifestation of God because God is love. When I show my love to you in a genuine fashion, in a Christ-like fashion, it is God who is infusing that demonstration And he is present in that expression of love. It's not just a a one-on-one thing between us. It is a triangle with God involved because God is love. There is no appropriate, perfect demonstration of love that does not include and contain God. Our world is messed up on this. There's no doubt about it. We've got all sorts of different expressions of what we call love. But if it is biblical love, it is not a selfish love. It's not out for what can I get out of this for myself. We take the model of what we find in Christ and we live that forward. Yes, our world can be very messed up in this and we're calling all sorts of things love that really isn't love. But where there is love, God is in the midst of it. We need to understand that. When you love, you are actually displaying God because God is love. Now, This is a big deal. I mean, this is a a really big deal because of how verse 12 begins. It says, no one has ever seen God. What is this talking about? Well, he's talking about God the Father there. That's who he has in mind. God the Father is eternal. God the Father is everywhere present. He's omnipresent. It's just one of his attributes. And he can be seen through things that he has made. He can be seen in the faith that an individual expresses and so forth. But he is spirit, which means he does not inhabit a body, which means nobody has ever laid eyes on God, the Father. But that's why Jesus, as God, came into our world so that we might be able to have put eyes on him because we relate to things as we see them. And so for Jesus to come, it gave us the opportunity to interact with him and to engage him and to touch him and to hear from him. So he came so that we might have a better understanding of who God is. 
We've been saying this from the very start of this series because John pointed this out in the very first verse, and we're going to look at it yet again. It was this, that which was from the beginning, in other, in other words, that which is eternal, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it. That's Jesus. Same God manifest in a body so that we would be able to see it in the person of Jesus. But after Jesus' death and resurrection, the time came when he ascended back into heaven. And as he goes back into heaven, we don't have the opportunity to see Jesus, to see God in the flesh with our eyes anymore. Now, there were eyewitnesses who had seen him, and they carried on for a while. In fact, John is one of the very last living eyewitnesses as he writes this letter. But once they're gone, no one has seen Jesus in the flesh either. But here's what he is saying. Just as Jesus came to reveal the Father to us, what he is saying is as you express your love, because God is love, he is in that love, and so whenever you are expressing God-honoring, God-genuine love, you are displaying God. You are putting him on display. You are advertising Jesus in the way that you live your life, the way that you express your love. And when we do so in a way that is following after the model that we have when we carry out that mission to love, we are celebrating God. We are revealing Him to the world. The question is, what is the love that you have on display in your life saying about God? If we were able to play a film of what your last week has been like so that we could all see it, so that we could see the way that you're interacting. Would we say, wow, you're definitely displaying who God is in the love that you show, in the way that you reach out, in the way that you're going outside of yourself, not just looking to your own interests, but also to the interests of others the Scriptures call us to do. What does it look like? This is a pre- penetrating question. This is a question that will keep you up at night. And the thing is, you can't opt out of this. You can't say to people, look, don't look at me. I mean, if you want to know what God's like, don't look at me. Don't look at my life because I'm messed up. Don't judge God based on me. You can't do that because it comes with the territory. It comes with being a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm sure that you can come up with reasons why we shouldn't look at you. You know, maybe it's, well, I'm, I'm pretty new to the faith, so don't look at me. Or, or I'm so busy, don't look at me. Or I've had such a troubled past. Don't Decide what God is like based on what you see in me. Or, I'm dealing with some sickness. Don't look at me. No, you see, the irony of the whole thing is, is as we look to God, as we look to his model, and as we take and we inculcate that into our lives and allow that to press forward through the circumstances that we find ourselves in, the irony is, is that we show the love of God that much more. Our testimony is that much stronger. The witness we proclaim is that much more convincing. And I can tell you this, because our world is jacked up when it comes to this whole expression of love, if you will take on the love that God really has for you, if you will take that model and live it out before other people, people are going to sit up and they're going to want to know what is different about you. What is going on? Why do you live that way? Why do you love that way? That is so different 
They might be standoffish at first, but they're going to be watching. And it is going to communicate something unusual in our culture because God is love. He is in every expression of love. He's on display. We need to have that in mind as we press forward in this. John goes on. He keeps building this case for the need for the demonstration of love. This time he's saying, let us love. We have a motive. I had a little alliteration moment, I think, when this sermon was coming together. We've got a model. We've got a mission. We've got a motive. And we're not done yet either. Now, as this little section gets started, right here in verse 13, as it gets started, you might think, man, I think, I think dear old John got a little bit distracted here. I think he kind of lost his train of thought. I think he's got a little bit of a, a brain fade going on here. I came home the other day, and I opened up the refrigerator, and in there next to the gallon of milk was a jar of peanuts. Now, I don't know where you keep your peanuts at home, but that's not where we keep our peanuts. I, I guess it's better than having the, the jug of milk in the pantry next to the peanuts, but somebody was kind of mixed up when they put those in there. Now, I don't know who it was. I know it wasn't me, and I know our girls live out of state, so I, I, don't, I don't really know who it was, but uh, you'll just have to try to figure that out for yourself. I shared that last night, and somebody came up to me afterward, and they said, that's nothing. The other day, I found my car keys on the, in the dishwasher. So I, I don't know what it's like at your house, but uh, anyway. On the surface here, it looks like John might have a little bit of brain fade. It looks like he's lost track of the, the, the thought that he was trying to carry forward. But that's not going on here at all. In fact, instead of just leading off with, Beloved, let us love one another. Let us love one another. Now he's going to backload that exhortation. And he's going to start by giving us the rationale, the, the motive, right up front. And that's what we're going to see. If you look down to verse uh, 19... You can see he comes eventually to it. He says, we love because he first loved us. That's where we're going, but he's setting up the idea that that's what we need to do. All right? He's just kind of flipping it around from the way that he's been talking to this point. He's not confused at all. You'll see that. Let's look at it. Verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. This is a little excursus that John is taking on the Trinity, on sin, on the gospel, so that we might understand more about who God is is but it's all being done here in the framework of the love of God he's simply telling us here's a reason why you ought to love that much more here's a motive for you verse 16 continues God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him okay the idea that God is love has important implications to be sure right at the top of the list is the fact that God defines what genuine love is and how it's properly expressed. However, we live in a very much self-absorbed culture that says, I will decide what love is. I will decide what love looks like. And then the ultimate arrogance is that we have the audacity to then take our definition of what love is when God himself is love. He is the very definition of love. We take it and we say, in fact, I'm going to judge God based on my interpretation of what love really ought to be. 
And so if something happens in our world or doesn't happen in our world that we don't like, we start to dismiss God instead of considering that maybe there's something that we have wrong in this. This is what we do in our world. And so people are saying, well, I don't serve that kind of God or the God that I love wouldn't do that because of this or because we have that audacity and we press that forward. It's ludicrous when you really stop to consider the fact that God is the one who is love himself. See, we don't stop to consider the fact that we don't have a full perspective. We don't completely understand what God is, what, what God is doing. We don't see how he's working all things together for good. We don't see how when he allows something to come into our life, instead of that being a lack of love, maybe that's an extra expression of love because he's setting us up so that we will be able to process the obstacles that are still coming our way instead of just making us soft so that we don't know what in the world is going on so that we might be in a position where we're really going to get laid out and maybe throw in our faith altogether, some such thing. No, on the flip side, what we really need to come to understand is that God is carrying on to completion the work that he has begun in us, and we can be confident of that fact, and there is no doubt about that. So somebody might say, well, you're just asking me to have blind faith. And what I would say is, I'm asking you to do just the opposite. And John is asking you to do the opposite. What he is doing, he's, he's laying it out there, and he says, this is love. God is love. And here's the demonstration of that. Jesus went to the cross, died on your behalf. Don't walk off in blind faith. Walk off with the understanding of all of what it is that God has done for you through his son Jesus. That's what he wants. He's not blind at all. If we live in the love of God, there's more good news according to verse 17. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. John is pointing out here that there's going to be a moment, there's going to be a day when you're going to stand before God. Where he is going to take a look at your life. He's saying, don't fear that day. You're thinking, I'm really scared of that day. He says, no, don't fear that day. There's no need to because of the love of God that it is already on you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he, Jesus, is the propitiation for your sin. He's taken it out of the way. There's no need to worry about that and to fret about that or to live your life as though it is still coming, but we miss that. We miss that, at least in the way that we live. We might understand it theologically, but we don't. We have trouble accepting that reality, and as a result, we've oriented our lives around trying to please God to get him to put his favor on us instead of trying to please God because he already has big difference. And it's going to transform your life. It's going to transform your love if you get this right. It's not a small little thing. It's not a small little theological tick that I might see it this way or might see it. No, we've messed this one up and, and big time. When we do that, we reduce our spiritual lives to trying to stay out of trouble, to try to keep the hammer of God from falling on us instead of celebrating the fact and living in the joy of the love that he's already poured out on your life. And some of us are stuck. And we're living a small little life that is fearful, 
It's always kind of watching over our shoulder, waiting for God to whack us. And this whole problem is exacerbated because it's not just something that we're dealing with ourselves. This is something that we're teaching to our children. In a big way, I am afraid. I believe that this is a standard parental go-to. You'd better not lie or God's going to be angry at you. You'd better do what Daddy says or God's going to get you. And I understand how that brings an extra leverage to the situation, and that might help you as a parent to get your kid to do something because no kid wants to make God angry. But what you're doing is teaching your kids that God is something that he is not. And this very notion is very pervasive. There was actually a study done with a group of Wheaton College students. 90% of them said, that they lived to please God because they were afraid and just trying to avoid his wrath. 90%. If they're believers in Christ, and I believe that most of them are, they've already avoided the wrath of God because the love of God is on them, because he is the propitiation for their sin. And it doesn't just stop with college students. So many of us are living our lives exactly that same way today. We're just watching over our shoulders. We're just waiting for God to whack us for something that we have done. Don't teach your kids or yourself to try to please God or else. Teach them and yourself to please God because His love is sufficient to take care of you whenever you mess up. It's already on you. Love God because He loves you, not because you're afraid. It's going to transform the way that you live, and it leads us to the last of these things. Final exclamation point and exhortation is, let us love, we have a mandate. A mandate, verse 21, and this commandment, this commandment, this mandate we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So, the place that John begins, he now ends. Beloved, let us love one another. Again, let us love one another. Again, let us love one another. All the way and down through. And now the bookend right at the end is the same thing. Let us love, he says. Why do you think John keeps coming back to this over and over and over and over again? Do you think it could be because he knows we'll have trouble with it? Because he suspects that we might have difficulty taking this, appropriating it, and living it out? I think that's exactly what's going on here. I wonder, friends, where is it in your life that you need to grow in love? Where is it that the love of God needs to course in you and then through you to change the environments that you're in? Wherever that is, before you make some unrealistic commitment to express love better, let's start with understanding love better. If your only motivation for loving is guilt or fear, then you're only going to love as long as that guilt continues. But, but if you can come to understand what it is that God has done for you through Christ, if you can understand the love that he has poured out on you, the fact that you have been filled with that love, or that's what he desires you to live in, then that love can just continue to pour out as long as you receive it from above. As long as you receive it and accept it, it's just like this channel. It just fills you up and it flows from you. It fills you up and it flows from you. 
The reason that I'm afraid that so many of us fail to love is because our love cup is empty. Because we're afraid, because we're looking at God thinking that he's going to whack me as soon as I mess up. So the love, there is no love cup. At least there's nothing in it. What he's asking of us is that we would recognize the position that we have in Christ. That we would recognize the fact that he is dumping his love on us in amazing measure. So the cup is always filled to overflowing. And all we need to do to show his love is to allow it to spill over out of our life. But too many of us are living empty because we just don't understand God's love. Until we understand that, there's no way that we're ever going to be able to demonstrate it. So John comes and he says, you've heard this, you've heard that. Here's the bottom line. Let us love. Let us love. Sure, you'll be able to find an excuse for why I can't, why I shouldn't, why I won't, but love will find a way. If love is in you, if you allow that love cup to be filled up from the channel that God is pouring into you, then you just allow it to flow out. Love will find a way. And it is going to dynamically change the environments that you live in. Your family needs more of Christ's love flowing in your home. Your neighborhood does. I know mine does. And when you step up, and come to recognize who you are, you're going to see a dynamic change in the way that you express it, which is going to bring that dynamic change to all who are around you. Just think about the environments that you're going to be going into in this week that's ahead. Imagine yourself at work changing the pattern of the way that you've been engaging and interacting. What would that look like? Who are you going to talk to? What are you going to share? How are you going to express that love? Understand that as you demonstrate it to others, you are handing them Jesus at the same time because he is on display every time we demonstrate love. How are you going to do it? What's it going to look like in your family? Maybe today, this afternoon. How are you going to step up and live in a way that's different than the way that you have been. The pattern that has sort of taken the, the family off in sort of this weird little direction and there's this tension going on. How are you going to release that and find yourself moving in a way that demonstrates the model that Jesus gave to us, which was full and complete sacrifice, looking to the needs of other people ahead of our own. And when we do that, my friends, I can promise you that love will find a way to impact your world and those around you. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Your love which has been expressed so powerfully, so beautifully in the person of Jesus. Thank you for what he has done. Thank you for the demonstration that we have. Thank you that we don't need to simply muster up some love out of our own abilities out of what we can fill ourselves with but that you bring something spectacular something out of the ordinary something that goes beyond what we might even imagine 
simply the realm that you live in. We thank you for that. Father, I pray for my friends here today. I would ask that you would do in us a work that influences, inspires, and changes the world in which we live. Lord, there is no doubt that where your love is on display, that people are going to sit up and take notice. They're going to want to know what is different about you. What motivates you to live as you're living, to speak as you're speaking. Our Father, we want to be people who reflect the fact that you are love. So move in us so that we might be able to reflect you in all the circumstances of our life. And we do it for your glory and in the name of Jesus. Amen.